Welcome to the Lucky Let Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you on Monday, August 7th, as we look back at the Mubadala City DC Open in Washington, DC, as well as the other events that took place last week across the ATP and WTA tours. We'll also be looking ahead to this week's action. In Canada, the National Bank Open in Toronto and also in Montreal for the women. Some big matchups as the first 1,000-level events of the North American hard court swing take place. But before we look ahead, we're going to look back. We had Tennis Now contributor Eric Goodris at the City Open doing the full bug for us last week, contributing lots of content, and he will give us our insights on what he saw in the nation's capital We'll also be joined by Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now editor and contributor. And we have a nice long discussion on all the good stuff we saw last week, as well as looking ahead to the rest of this exciting North American hardcourt swing. This week, of course, we'll see the return of top-ranked Carlos Alcaraz and Iga Sviantek in Canada. So lots to look forward to, lots to talk about. Let's get straight into the interviews now. All right, ready here to talk some tennis as the Masters events and 1,000-level events kick off in Canada. We're here to talk about the City Open and the events of the week gone by. Eric Goodris was at City Open every damn day doing doing great work for Tennis Now. So we're going to uh, open our conversation with a little discussion on that tournament. Had a little different feel this last week with the WTA event being a 500. I think that brought a little extra energy. Eric and Richard, great to speak with you both, first of all. And, great to uh, be here. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's great to speak with you both. So, Eric, uh, you were there in the press room grinding it out, I think, from before the beginning of the tournament till the bitter end. So tell us a little bit about your experience there. Sure, yeah. So this has, was my ninth time, hard to believe, ninth time attending the event. As you've mentioned, it has expanded once again. So now it is the first ever combined ATP WTA 500 event. And I would say that, and of course, there's a new uh, sponsor, co-sponsor as well. So I would say the changes um, were subtle compared to last year I, obviously on the women's side uh because it's a 500 event definitely there were more higher ranked players playing the tournaments and players attending dc for the first time and because of the nature of the draw there were some really um excellent even first round matches uh like stelina azarenka uh for example so uh, definitely uh, took the women's event to the next level um of course um, bearing in mind that there is some, there's still disparity between the prize money between the men and the women, but the tournaments are um, working uh, to meet uh, a goal to have that parity in the next couple of years. So that's something they're working on. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, in terms of so the overall fan experience, it's 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 again there's many many sellout sessions. Um, the event has certainly upped its game in terms of like amenities and um, uh, dining options and just the other things you can kind of do uh, besides watch the tennis. Uh, so again, it's uh, I mean, I, I know people here in the area that uh, don't really follow tennis that much, but we're excited to go just for a day just to check it out because they've heard so many great things about it. 
So the organizers have done a great job of enhancing things and uh, making it more popular in the area. I guess the, the next question is, is with the expanded popularity, uh, of course, that means more people. Uh, parking was a big issue, as it always he- is up here. So the question is, is it in the future, is it going to be able to remain at the, the, the current site where it's always been in uh uh, Rock Creek Park, which is, of course, part of the National Park Service, or does it at some point get moved to another location, the area, a bigger stadium? So those are all sort of questions that the organizers have to consider down the road. But overall, it was, uh, yet again, a, a great a great tournament. Uh, good stuff, Eric. Uh, good stuff. And, and uh, you mentioned the prize money. It is pretty interesting, the disparity between the ATP champion, who was Dan Evans this year, $353,445 in his pocket versus Coco Goff's take, which was $120,000 and $150 for the winner. And there's a lot of gap to make up, which I think they will need to do. They promised to do in the next three or four years. That should be interesting. But Mark Ein got a lot of money and he's got a lot of influence. So maybe some cha- more changes are on the way. What's your take before we talk to Richard a little bit, Eric, what is your take on this, on the setup at Rock Creek park? Do you think it's better off staying there? What are the limitations? What do you think needs to happen over the next few years to create, I guess, some st- long-term stability for the event? Sure. So again, going back to the original founders of the event back in 1969, of course that includes, the great Arthur Ashe, I mean, the one reason why they wanted it to be in the area is so it could be accessible to all communities within the area. Um, so the stadium itself uh, is definitely at some point will need some rehabilitation. It's just an old, older stadium. Um, but then again, as I said, um, it's a bit of a, the questions because it's on it's a, on DC property. There's a national park service, so there's a lot of different stakeholders involved in terms of uh, who controls the land and access and things like that. Um, as you said, Mark Ein is the owner of the tournament. He certainly has enough influence to to make things happen. So I guess it's a question again of do we do they keep it where it is, which is where everybody knows where it is and it's accessible, uh, parking excluded. Or do they think about down the road uh, potentially moving it either to a new stadium or an existing stadium? Um, I think um, I think it's also going to be interesting to see uh, moving forward when the Masters events ahead of them move to the, the two-week schedule mm-hmm. um, to see kind of how that. Uh, how that impacts that specific tournament since it comes right before. So lots of things that will uh, need to be thought out in the next couple of years. Yeah, for sure. But I think we can all agree that the event has a lot of charm. It has a lot of energy. It's a great way to kick off sort of the bigger events, the first 500 of the North American hardcore swing. Richard, before I ask you any more specific questions, what is your take on that prize money, that gap with the men making so much more now? Is it just the, is it just due to existing TV deals? Is it, why is there such a discrepancy and how do you think they're going to figure out a way to get this um, like remedied and have w- men and women in three or four years earning the same amount of money? Yeah, I'm assuming, and I, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm, I'm assuming it's when they bought the license that that was the existing prize money structure under under the license that they bought when they did the deal. So I think that's the reason. What From what I saw of Mark Ein's presser there that he's promised that it would be equal 
I think Eric would know this better because he was there, but I think he said by 2026, am I right or wrong about that? I thought he said that that's the, that's the plan anyway. So, yeah, I mean, when you look at the tournaments, I mean, you could argue, like Eric said at the top, when you had Azarenka, Svitolina right out of the box, or when you had Svitolina, Pagula, or like, you know, Coco, Benchic, the Olympic gold medal, I mean, so you could argue a lot of the women's matches were more high profile, more marquee matches, so I don't think the disparity is right, but I'm assuming it's because of the contract. Yep. Yeah, and I think the um, I think the tours have put out a statement and put out their plan going forward. They have that they have to have the thousands line up in a certain time frame in the five hundreds. I'm not sure the exact years. Eric might know, but if not, not a huge deal. The point is there, and the exciting fact of the matter is that they're moving towards getting on the same page. I mean, if you look ahead to this week in Canada, the the men are making twice as much money as the women again, and it's, and it's both one thousand points for each one. So. Those things need to change, and it's exciting that the tours are going to address that. And who knows, maybe three or four years down the road, we see one big tour, which is what a lot of people seem to be talking about and hinting for. But um, in any case, equal prize money is not really in existence yet, though. We do celebrate the 50-year anniversary of the U.S. Open giving equal prize money, and then, of course, all four slams have done it. But we still got a ways to go, and it's interesting to see how they're going to make up the ground. Um, Should we talk some tennis? And Andy Murray was asked about that in D.C., and he basically said he doesn't think it'll be unilaterally across the board equal until you see a true merger between the ATP and WTA, and I'm assuming the reason for that is just you're asking, you would ask the men to take a pay cut to bring the women's up right now, if that's, if that's, if you're dealing with the same amount of prize, that's what would have to happen, and they're not going to do that, so that was Andy Murray's point, that was an interesting one, I felt. Yeah. Very interesting stuff. Let's get to the tennis, and I'll start with you, Richard. Yes, uh, son. Uh, Eric, when did Coco Goff win? Is well, they, I can't even remember now. Yes, yesterday's finals were both yesterday. It yeah. seems like a blur. I'm confused with the rain delay in the men's finals. But Coco Goff finishes off the title run at DC. It's, it's uh, three top twenty wins in that event for Goff. The first time she's recorded three top twenty wins since 2021 Rome. She's now won four in a row versus the top twenty for the first time ever. A lot of news around Coco Goff during the week. Uh, Brad Gilbert is now working as a consultant. Per Reba is coaching her. She's happy. She's evolving. Tell us, Richard, what you saw different from Coco Goff, maybe that we saw that we didn't see a month ago at Wimbledon. Everybody talks about the forehand. Has that really improved, or was this just a, a fact of matter that Goff played a great tennis and everything's kind of the same? She's always been a pretty damn good tennis player, ranked seven in the world heading into the tournament, right? Yeah, I mean, that's well said. We forget she's only 19 years old. I mean, she's still learning to put it all together. So, yeah, I felt there was a few things. I mean, the first thing was the serve and return. I mean, look at the players that she beat, not just beat, she dismantled, like I said earlier, Benchich, gold medal champion, Samsonova, defending champion, who arguably has one of the best forehands in the game and a great kick serve who plays much flatter, harder, and then, you know, Sakari, we all know about her struggles in semis and finals, but she'll, she's a perennial top 10 player who had the career winning, you know, head-to-head record. So she had to deal with different kinds of opponents who were dangerous, and she not only beat them, I mean, she took it to them. And I thought her serving was really, really smart. She didn't just go try to blow it past them. She mixed in the kick on the, on the deuce side. She hit some nice slice. Uh, serves, took some pace off. And if you look at her, the ratio, the ace to double fault ratio, I think against Benchage it was five to one aces to double faults. I think Sakari was seven to 
three or seven to four. So she's getting really popping it, getting some free points, and also serving smartly using the whole box. But to me, the big two takeaways were number one, her emotionally, she looked more relaxed. She was having fun. She was smiling. She had great positive energy, and the crowd loved that. She had great energy from the crowd. You even saw when she won, she danced at the end. It was just more of a like a happy experience for her. She didn't look stressed as much. But uh, as far as the forehand, I felt like what she did was let me just use my all of my skills, like my all card. Let me make the whole court matter. Let me come in sometimes. Let me use the slice, bring the opponent in. Like use everything I have, and then they can't just stand there and bang at my forehand because I'm using my variety. So you saw her loop a lot of the heavier forehands, hit the flatter backhands, hit the slice. I felt she just used it all. She used the total game, which was really fun to see, and it seemed fun for her to play that way, too. And she even made the comment, I think it was after the Samsonova match, Eric would remember better, where she said, I realized I'm back in the Washington, D.C. sign, like way behind the baseline. I don't want to be back here. And I thought that was such a smart perceptive thing, like, let me get back up out right up on the baseline and use my offense too don't just use my defense use my offense yep yep eric give me your thoughts being close up and personal with uh, many of coco's matches during the week what are some of your observations from the way she played yeah i mean as many things as richard already said i think she uh you know again there's been so much talk about the forehand and even she in her press conferences was like look i get it you know my forehand been a it's been a problem and so i've been she's been trying everything to to figure that out and we've we've seen that at least this week that it, it's certainly gotten a lot better i mean certainly like in the sakri match uh of course sakri was targeting the forehand but a lot of the times uh, golf was winning those forehand to forehand exchanges so uh that was certainly a positive development and the other thing of course there's a lot of talk about brad gilbert and what he's brought to her game and one thing that she said uh in a after the final was that he's told her to also just take time between points where she says in the past she would if she was kind of in a difficult spot in a service game she would kind of rush through it whereas he told her just to kind of like you know if you need to take a moment use the full shot clock serve clock you know collect yourself and she said that actually um, is something that she does in practices. So, and she plays better when she just takes that takes that moment to kind of reset. So, I think it's I think it's a combination this week of some of the technical stuff on the forehand side, of course, but then just also just like the match management where we've seen in the past where she's gotten uh, in behind and she'll just kind of like rush through the points and end up losing. So, I think um, a lot to uh, a lot a lot very promising um i do i think we should also give credit to a great insight that uh andrea peskovic uh who was commentating for tennis channel uh many of her matches said that when a player takes on a new coach there's that initial like rush of excitement and positive feeling but uh, andrea said it usually takes about one to three months to finally see those results so um so we we have a lot to look forward to in the next three months. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well said. Good stuff, Eric. Um, yeah, very commendable from Coco. Um, you know, bringing in other voices and being open to other voices, and and and, uh, and commendable to both of her coaches for first for Periba, who's a younger guy, is fairly new to the tour. Did a lot of coaching with uh, uh, 
Zhang of China and helped her to get to a really high level last year. And it's nice to see that he's working with Brad Gilbert. Those two look really comfortable together. And it's not about all about these coasters. It's really about Coco and her finding ways to, to up her game. And she did so, so nicely this week. The energy, seeing her do it, win her first title on home soil, just amazing. It just gives you a little glimpse of what we might see more from, from her more in the future. So very exciting development with Coco Goff. And we'll look forward to see... You know how she backs it up in Canada? Pretty decent draw. Got a buy up there and then faces either Rebecca Marino or Katie Bolter um, up in the top half with Iga Sviantek. Could see that in the semifinal. Could see a quarterfinal with Jess Pagula in Canada. So lots to look out for. Very exciting, very exciting stuff. How about the men's side? Dan Evans, what's up with that? 33 years old, youngest or oldest champion at the City Open on the men's side since 1988, Jimmy Connors. It was fantastic the way he took out Francis Tiafo, and then took it all away for a title run, defeating Talon Greekspor in yesterday's final. Um, who wants to go first and talk about the, the great tennis that Dan Evans played at the City Open? I'd just like to say that it shows what a beautiful sport tennis is. If you look at the heartbreak Dan Evans had the prior week when he had the match points and wound up you know, losing that match, and then you have to bounce back from that and come back to D.C., and you win the biggest title of your career, of your life, and playing some of the best tennis of your life. I mean, it just shows the opportunity every week to kind of make it happen for yourself. And he, and he did. And I got to be honest, I thought Dimitrov was going to beat him. I mean, Dimitrov has been put together a really nice stretch of tennis, um, you know, for the last several weeks. You look at what he did at Queens, Wimbledon, et cetera. And, and um, I thought Evans' confidence just wasn't going to be there. But also to beat Big Foe, the, the wins he put together. And also to bring back, you know, I, could, I was concerned after Barty retired, maybe the slice isn't going to be what it was. And to see the him and Dimitrov, it was basically slice for slice on the backhand side. To see him use the slice as a weapon as well as he did and set up his forehand uh, was really, really fun to see. And also I felt what he did really well is when he would get the break the next game, he would have some of his best serve games right after the break, and he hit that serve down the tee really, really well when he had to. Mm. Yeah. Eric, what, you know, we talked about this maybe being a deep-cut final, maybe not one for the casual fans, Dan Evans versus Talon Gregspoor. They both knocked out Americans that I think a lot of people wanted to see make a run. Francis Tiafo lost to Evans in the quarters. Gregspoor took out Fritz in the semis. But nevertheless, we got a lot of good stuff from these two players, and it just teaches us that there are many layers in the men's game right now. Oh, absolutely. And I thought even before the tournament started that the men's event was wide open uh, just because of who was in the draw and some of these storylines. Of course, Tiafo desperately wanted to win his home event, and uh, of course, there's always next year, but I guess it's an interesting mix where he has Tiafa has to, he put so much expectation on himself to win that tournament. And then there's so much expectations uh, from the local fans. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lot. It's for him to, to process, but uh, again, uh, taking nothing away from Dan Evans, who, uh, you know, he said that uh, he was playing well in practice, but it just never translated to, the match court and you look at his his season before dc i mean he did get to one semifinal in barcelona but other than that it's been like first round loss after first round loss and it's uh as as richard said it just it's that's what the beauty of tennis is that as if the belief is there i mean a, a player will say like that they know they're they're right there and it just takes one good week to like 
change not only their, their season, but even their, their career. Um, it's yeah. just having that belief to bounce back. Um, and, uh, you know, look, and also telling Greek sport, I think, I, I mean, he was probably a, rev- a revelation for the casual tennis fan, but he's been putting together a very solid season. And uh, he sure proved has. it again this this past week that he's now uh, someone to definitely uh, keep an eye on. Now he's going to be close to top 25. So uh, definitely, uh, there's there's as you said, there's a lots of great great players that uh, feel like they they belong right there with the best. Yeah, Greek sport was really yeah a, a revelation a bit. You know, he's got two titles this year already. I haven't watched him that closely, but man, great mover, a lot of power. You know, really good at defending his serve, big booming serve, big booming ground strokes. Really like his game. Just you know, kind of a quiet personality, not that easy to notice. But he wins over Monfils, JJ Wolf, then Fritz. You know, great tournament for him, and looking forward to seeing more of him as well. Um, as far as you know, you touched on it a little bit. The American men. You know, interesting storyline. It's just the beginning of the hardcourt summer. We're going to come in with a lot of expectations for the likes of Taylor Fritz, Francis Tiafo, Tommy Paul. I mean, you know, Sebastian Corda was quiet at City Open, lost his first match. Richard, what do you think's going on with the American win? It's kind of too early to tell, right? I mean, it's a long summer ahead. Yeah, and I think we'll know a lot more after uh, Toronto and Cincy. But I think with Fritz, you know, like you said, Greek sport played really well. I mean, Fritz has put together a nice run with Atlanta and D.C., and it wasn't like I didn't feel like he fell apart or, you know, got tired. or He just got beat in the end. But he's played well, and, and as Eric touched on, Big Foe, it's just a lot of pressure trying to perform especially when he said before the tournament, this is one of my goals to win this tournament. And you know how badly he wants to do well there. Sometimes that can sort of boomerang back against you. You want to do so badly, so well. And then, you know, it's just hard with the pressure. Um, And Eubanks, you know, coming off Wimbledon, you had to expect there's going to be a little bit just emotionally to keep that energy up. So I think this week is going to tell us a lot. Uh, It's going to tell us a lot going forward. Yeah, And I also think that Francis, you know, it may have not gone the way he wanted it to, but he did have KD there for his first match. That was pretty yeah, cool, yeah, pretty cool exactly. moment with Kevin Durant at the City Open. I mean, that was that was. That, yeah, that was and he lost to the eventual champion. When you lose to the eventual champion, you can't beat yourself up about that. Yeah. I think you know. Ultimately, in my opinion, you guys can can weigh in on this. I think it's good for Francis that he shoulders that pressure, that he goes out there and goes on record, says he wants to win this event. Deals with the pressure, doesn't come out the way he wants to, but he's going to have plenty of opportunities. And really, his big target is backing up his semifinal run in New York. Yeah, he's going to have plenty of opportunities, but he's also going to have plenty of pressure because those points in New York, that's a big, you know, that's the difference between staying in the top 10 and being out of the top 10. So I agree, but it can go both ways. But I hope he can harness that energy like he did last year, and he really rode it like rocket fuel. Yeah. Eric, was the vibe a little different on site at in the stadium for Francis matches? It seemed it seemed like there was some real energy happening with him in the crowd. Oh, absolutely! And I just think uh, I think just especially since the, that run to the U.S. Open last year, it's only just added to his popularity overall. And there's probably definitely more uh, fans in the crowd that wanted that wanted to to see him for the first time potentially even after that run in New York. So uh, he's always had the, the fan support in D.C., but now it's, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's grown, and it will, it will continue to grow so long as he kind of backs up these, these great results that he's been having. So he def, def, desperately wants to win D.C. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think he will do it one year. Um, 
it's just uh, it's like as Richard said, it's just it's just balancing all the expectations. Yeah, and let us not forget Fritz number nine in the world, Tiafo number ten in the world. These guys must be doing something right. Exactly. Um, we can move on um, and just talk a little bit about what what happened elsewhere on the tours this week. Stefano Sitsipas grabs a title in Los Cabos. He goes ten and zero against Alex Dimonor. Uh, I don't know. Do you guys think it'll it, it really can propel Sitsipas, who has really n- never done anything at the U.S. Open? You'd think he'd be, he'd be able to do more there. He's five and five lifetime, never been past the third round at the U.S. Open. But a really good hardcore player, Aussie Open finalist, has done damage at the at the Masters events on hard courts in North America. Do you, do you think maybe it's time for Sitsipas to come to New York in a month from now and make make some you know waves? I do think that he has the game to do well there, and if you really dig deeper, you know, losing to Alcaraz in New York, you know, knowing that Alcaraz is now U.S. Open champion, that's not that, although Alcaraz was not the Alcaraz of today when he lost to him, but, you know, the Bjorn, the, the Corridge match, the one that, that's a, that's the real match, I felt that was a real stumbling block for him in New York emotionally, because that's a match he really let get away, so if he can get past that, yeah, I think, like you said, he has the game, and especially now with the forehand really dominating from the center of the court and dictating play with the forehand. I think he has a shot, although I would definitely put the group of Alcaraz, Djokovic, Medvedev, and even Holger Rune, I would like his chances more. Holger Rune, what a talent, yeah. So, Eric, any thoughts on um, the other events outside of the City Open, or were you just in your City Open bubble? Um, it was more or less in the City Open bubble, but uh, did uh, did happen to catch... Uh, some of Dominic Team's uh, uh, feel-good run at his yeah. at, at his local event as well. Uh, of course, that was on clay, but again, to just to see him get back to a final and uh, build some momentum uh, certainly can can help him heading into the U.S. Open. Um, so, if anybody needs some momentum and some positive vibes, it's been his Dominic Team for sure. Good point. Guess team is up 32. He's the high, biggest riser in the top 100. Gets back to number 84 in the world. Still 29 years of age. I think a lot of people are counting him out a little bit too early. What say you, Richard? Does team does team have the stuff to get back to Grand Slam finals, top 10, top 5 even? I don't know about top five or Grand Slam finals, but he has the ability in the game, I think, to get back to top 25, let's say. And also, what I was really encouraged about was he lost the first set in like three of those matches. You know, and Eric mentioned the five match points he saved against Laszlo, but I mean, he had to come back like three different times. I mean, they were big comebacks. So that shows you right there that the desire and the fight and, you know, the willingness to do whatever it takes, it's there. It's not like he's just going out there like, you know, hey, I'm just going to see what happens. He really, really wants to come back from what I saw at that tournament. Now, the big thing is now coming from Clay, which he loves, to hardcore where he doesn't have as much time to uncoil on those swings. That's a, It's a different story. Can he carry it through it? To me, it'll be interesting to see who has a better North American hardcore season, someone like Team, who's a former U.S. Open champion, or someone like Andy Murray, who's a former U.S. Open champion, you know, because yeah. you could argue Murray's game is more suited for these kind of conditions. But like he, Eric wrote about this on the site, you know, just trying to close some of these matches, you wonder if just psychologically there's some scar tissue from that Sitsipas match. I guess you could say the same thing with Sakari in a different in a different way. Yeah, 
Interesting stuff. Um, let's circle back and, and Eric, you, you're in a city open bubble, so let's let's um, piggyback on that Andy Murray thought and talk a little bit about Mazda, who is ten and eleven on the season, which is crazy. Thinking of how well he's done and how many crazy, exciting, dramatic matches he has played. And and uh, before I hand it to you, Eric, I want to say that the message to me is it doesn't really matter ultimately if Murray hits his targets at the age of 36 in terms of ranking titles performance at slams you know getting back second week quarterfinals whatever to me it's enough to have him doing what he's doing it's awesome he's he's such a a, like a he's just such in love and so much passion with the sport and his matches are so compelling that ultimately there's disappointment when he doesn't get where you think he might get but it's still such a wild ride and so worthwhile Yes, I, and I agree. I agree with you on that. But I will say, just uh, uh, Murray after that match, uh, uh, you could tell that he thought he could win it, and it was it was a great match. I mean, with Fritz, and uh, but as he said afterwards, he said he just feels frustrated that uh, there is. He, he feels like his game is in a better place than it was last year. But yep. he's been losing these these close these close matches, and that's what he's made his living off of is kind of grinding through these tough matches. So, yes, Murray is in it for the love of the game for sure. But my my takeaway is that he that he feels like he's got one more big run in him, and to get to do that, a he's going to have to get his ranking up so that he can get seated at the majors, so he's not having to run into an Alcaraz or a Djokovic first round potentially, yep. and he can kind of work his way through. So yes, it's 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 both sides. Yeah, he's definitely for the love of the game, but he definitely feels like he's got what it takes to have one more big run, wherever that big run takes place currently number 40 in the world what say you richard do you think murray has a has a grand slam quarterfinal in him yeah i do and i think eric hit it right on the head when he talked about the ranking because he knew if he wins that match he makes a deep run there it's a difference between potentially being seated in new york and being an outlier and if you're an outlier you know you could go down in the first or second round so he understands the value you know, of these tournaments going in. But I'll tell you, I like the way he closed that first set again. He hit two forehands that were like 90 miles an hour back-to-back where he just unloaded on the forehand. So I like when he mixes in the aggression. You know, that's not his natural style of play, but just once in a while to just show it, to show, to just unload once in a while. So I, I thought what I saw of him, I, I thought he played pretty well there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good points. Lots to look. I mean, I still have the hope that Eddie's going to come through, and like it just needs things to break his way a little bit more. And you know, Fritz was played a great match and finished him off. And you know, from a set down, that was that was a heck of a match. One of the highlights of the tournament, I would say. Um, so yeah, we'll look forward to Murray. We'll see if he can. Um, you know, I think he, at the very least, I see him doing it at Wimbledon. It was unfortunate that it didn't happen this year, but I think that he's got that quarterfinal in him for Wimbledon, maybe even at the U.S. Open. But you're right, Eric. He does need to get those, make up those next eight ranking spots and get himself a seed. He's just having too much work to be done in the first two rounds of these slams lately, and that's just that's just killing him at his, at his age and in his, his situation. Um, I guess we can look forward to. Um, well, Richard, you wanted to talk a little bit about the comeback vibes. We've got Wozniacki in action this week. Caroline Wozniacki making her long-awaited comeback in Canada. 
kind of a little bit of a comeback vibe in at the City Open with Dan Evans coming in off of uh, six straight tour-level losses. What's this comeback theme you wanted to talk about, Richard? Well, also, Jen Brady, Eric yes. wrote about that when, in D.C. to see her. You know, it was only, what, two years ago that was she was in the A.O., she was in a Grand Slam final, so to see someone like that come back who has pretty much a different game because of the spinniness and the heaviness of her game, it would be nice to see her, um, you know, just be able to play consistently. And Wozniacki, I'm really intrigued because she spent a lot of time um, as a commentator for a Tennis Channel, and we see how that paid off for Chris, Christopher Eubanks. So I'm intrigued to see what if she comes back as the Wozniacki we all remember playing that style, or if she sort of added some subtleties and some nuances based upon what she's seen in a, as an analyst and how she's seen the game evolve and change. And uh, that's always intriguing. And also just to jump back on the earlier point that Chris that you made at the top, where you said about Dan Evans, where he felt, hey, I'm playing well in practice. And I think that's something that can apply to Murray and to all these players. Even if you want to go back to Wimbledon, that's something Marquette of Andrusova, she said a couple times in the press, like, hey, I was playing well. In the, even though I don't have any grass pedigree, even though I have a losing grass record, I was playing in practice. These top players, I was playing well. So sometimes that can spill over, and it'll be interesting to see what that means in terms of Wozniacki, because they saw that social media post where she was hitting with Hogarune, and I don't know who she's been training with consistently or practicing, but she looks fit. I mean, she was always fit, but she must be feeling good just to make this kind of leap. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. She'll face Kimberly Burl in the first round and could face Wimbledon champion Marketa Vondrosova in the second round. Right, right. Should be interesting. Eric, what are your thoughts on the, on Wozniacki this week and maybe some other comeback names? Milos Raonic is another one who's getting back into the mix. Right, absolutely. So, yeah, again, I'll be interested to see how Wozniacki performs in her first match back. Um, and, uh, yeah, if she does play Vondrosa, just be curious to see uh, how Wozniacki responds and how Vondrosa kind of responds now with you know more attention on her uh certainly will be great to see Milos Raonic uh back in uh Canada I have fond memories of when I went to uh Montreal my goodness almost 10 years ago when Raonic had that run to the finals and of course all of Canada was was cheering him on so uh, if um if he's yep. if he's going to make some noise, then he's definitely going to do it there at, at his uh, at his nation's events. So good to good to see him back. It'd be interesting to see kind of how he uh, how he performs. Yeah, yeah. One of the most dominant servers, really, of of his generation. I mean, when when he's on his game, you better just like hope you can get him in a tiebreaker. I wonder if he's going to be able to bring that same serving prowess. And if he does, you know, tonight against Francis Tiafoe could be could be one heck of a match. Yeah, totally, and if, especially if Tiafo is still having a bit of a hangover from losing in D.C., uh, and, and, you know, he's going from D.C. where everybody was for him till tonight where everybody will be against him. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be, it'll be yeah. a very different uh, background. Yeah. Yeah. Never a dull moment with our sport. A couple stats I'm going to throw out today just for the heck of it um, because I was doing a little prep for this podcast. The last three players on the men's side to do the Canada-Cincinnati sweep, Rafter, 98, Roddick, 03, Nadal, 2013, all went on to win the U.S. Open. Anybody think that Carlos Alcaraz could be the next player to do that sweep? Uh. 
I don't know. I, I don't know. I think, I mean, if he wins Canada, then we'll see. I think, uh, I think it's interesting to kind of see how he's going to, uh, again, how he's going to perform this week, uh, just having won Wimbledon, uh, all that expectation and, uh, we'll see. Um, but if anybody could do it, it certainly could be him. Yep. And one thing we know about Alcaraz, he's he's not a one slam wonder. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, exactly. Forty seven exactly. forty seven and four on the season. Uh, but he's owned one lifetime at Toronto. Um seventeen and two at the Masters one thousand events this year with two Masters title. That's why I bring that up. Yeah, I mean it's a tall task for sure to win them both. He's gonna hit the ground running in Cincinnati to get it started. Uh, but it'll be interesting for me personally, and I'll, I'll ask you about this, Richard, too, to see uh, Carlitos back in action, to see Igis Fiatek, who's now 47-7 and seven on the season, to see her maybe renew rivalries with Sabalenka and Rybakina, who's 19-2 and two at the 1,000 level this year. So, I mean, storylines that have been carrying through the whole season are still there. It should be pretty pretty cool to watch what these top names can do and see if we can, you know, maybe continue to see the rise of Alcaraz, Runa, see if Medvedev can finally find his form against someone like Alcaraz. You know, a lot of cool storylines. Lots. It's just getting started on the hard courts. Absolutely, and I think it's this week is important for Medvedev because Novak isn't there, and so this is his hard courts or his surface. So I think it's a week for him to go deep. Yeah, could be, could be for sure. He's uh, let's see, opens with either Vasek Pospisil or Matteo Arnaldi from Italy. Could face Musetti, who already beat Nishioka in the third round. Possible Fritz in the round of sixteen. Rublev's in his half of the draw, as is Francis and Raonic that we mentioned. Casper Ruud, the pitcher, the guy who threw out the first ball against against uh, uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays game, he's in, in the action. Let's see if he'll do better on hard courts than he than he did on grass. I'm sure he will. Last year's U.S. Open runner-up, um, but yeah, just so much to is in front of us. It's, it's a great time of the of the hard court season. We're all thinking about the U.S. Open a little bit, but we got our focus on these great events. Um, it's going to be cool. It's going to be fun, especially when you add Venus Williams in there. I think is, I think Venus is playing Madison Keys tonight. Am I right about that, Eric? Yes, she is playing Madison Keys. So again, that's going to be an interesting first rounder, uh, just to kind of see where Venus is, and uh, and Keys, who had a great uh, Wimbledon as well. So yeah. that's going to be a very intriguing first rounder. Yeah, yeah, so much to look forward to. Any parting shots for you guys before we uh, say goodbye for now? I would like to thank the fans of Washington, D.C., because I watched most of that men's doubles final and the support. It was a really fun match to watch, a lot of great you know, net play. Lot, and to see the fans that into it, I really I respect the way they respect doubles there. Nice one, by the way. And I actually sort of thought it might be good to talk about that a little bit because what I found interesting about the the men's doubles draw is that it was stacked with some, some really talented singles players. We had Dimitrov. We had a team of Tiafo and Herkic. We had Korda and Eubanks. We had McDonald and Shelton, of course, who made the final. We had Murray and Evans, who played some great tennis, winning their uh, defeating Krajacek and Pavic in their first match. And then in the end, we get a winner from Argentina, Gonzalez and Molteni, which who are just tried and true double specialists. It must be really special for these doubles players to compete against these guys, to get a big stage, pack stadiums in some cases, and I think uh, Eric can vouch. Some in some cases, when doubles matches were happening, they were way more packed in the stadium because of the personalities out there. So, 
City Open is one of the events, like a lot, similar to Indian Wells, it does a great job with the doubles and has a lot of singles players in there, and it just makes every, makes everything more exciting, even for the normal doubles players. Yes, and I just as a parting thought, I would say if if, if anyone has never been to to DC, the event, uh, definitely try to add it to your bucket list, especially just because the access to the players, because the grounds are so uh, intimate that uh, you, you'll definitely be able to see the players, like you said, uh, doubles uh, on the practice courts or just kind of maneuvering around. So just because the grounds are so intimate that uh, if you want to get up close to many of your favorite players, D.C. is, is a great uh, place to do that. Yeah, and an absolutely great city as well. And, and Eric, I did want to ask you, actually, uh, U.S. Open's got the Honey Deuce as their signature cocktail. What's what's the signature of the, you, you mentioned at the top that the, the the refreshments, the you know the the food offerings at the City Open were better than ever. So what's the catch there? What's the exciting go to snack or drink? Uh, I don't know if there's like a signature cocktail uh, there yet. They definitely had. Uh, different um different con- concoctions and different things going on um i would definitely say that probably what's one of the cooler things is that uh, the famous uh chef restaurateur jose andreas has uh, a small um uh area there we're serving some of his signature sandwiches and things so that's a very dc cool. um culinary thing to try out if you've never been to a jose andreas restaurant so that's probably the, the go-to thing to do <laughs> did your credential cover it um, uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, because I know it's important to Richard. You got to tell us what are the you know what are the top beers selling over there? How cold are they in that depressive uh, city open humidity? Talk to Richard about uh, cold beers. Oh yeah, I didn't I didn't partake of any of the, the beers, but I will say there was one uh, vendor that was like selling some signature DC. Uh, IPA. So there's there is that as well. Some some local uh, brews to try as well. Very cool, Richard. It gets hot. There. It yeah. gets really hot there. People, you gotta hydrate. Yeah, you gotta have you gotta Absolutely. have a beer once you finish up your last article, right, Richard? Only then. Well, in your case, sometimes it's before you finish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. Come on now. All right, guys, it's been great. I'm I'm glad we got to catch up. Eric, awesome job at City Open. Looking forward to, you said it was your ninth trip this year? Yes. Yeah, I'm looking forward to number 10. Great work, and, and uh, we were so, we were lucky to have you there. And um, readers, please go back and flip through our archives. Lots of good stuff on the City Open. And thanks for your insights today, Richard. Thanks as always. And you guys, let's talk again in the not too distant future, we'll wrap up these Masters 1000 and, and look again, look ahead to the U.S. Open in the coming uh, weeks. Yeah, thank you both. It's, it's been really fun to catch up. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Cheers, you guys. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Eric Goodris for joining us and for doing such great work at the Mubadala City D.C. Open in Washington, D.C. last week. Of course, special thanks to Richard Pagliaro for joining us. All your insights are appreciated. Thank you all for listening. Want you guys to know where you can find us on social media and whatnot. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash tennis now. You can also find us on Twitter at tennis underscore now, though it's not called Twitter anymore. It's called X. Does it really make a difference? It might to you. 
maybe it does to us, but that's another conversation for another time. You guys can also find us on um, Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe to this podcast. It would mean a lot to us. Just go to Apple Podcasts, type in Lucky Letcord Podcast in your search engines. You can also find us on Spotify or wherever you like to listen to your podcast. It means a lot to us, and we appreciate you guys listening. We'll see you next time in a couple weeks. We'll talk a little bit more about the Masters 1000s events in North America and do a final look ahead to the U.S. Open. Can't wait till then. Enjoy the tennis in the meantime, and thanks for listening.